Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Today we begin our new series entitled Summer Playlist, and it's about uh, our take on God in the movies, but only with music. And so over the summer, we'll be looking at uh, multiple uh, songs from multiple generations uh, and featuring different genres because every generation has its own playlist. Now, it's probably fair to say that what I'm about to share with you, the most defining moments in music for each generation. And so the silent generation were people who were born in the 20s and 30s. They had big band and swing. The baby bloomers, those who were born in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, had the birth of rock and roll, but they also had soul music. Generation X, they were born in the late 60s and 70s. They had grunge and hip-hop. And then um, we have the millennials, also known as Generation Y. They were born in the late 70s, um, to the early 90s, and, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what their playlist is because it's just all over the map. You know, uh, maybe it's indie. Uh, maybe it hasn't been defined yet. Um, maybe it consists of 80 cover tunes that they think were actually original. I'm not sure. I don't know. But then you also now have Generation Z, and their music is Baby Shark, just throwing it out there. And uh, the only constant in popular music is that nothing is constant in popular music, Right? Tastes change radically between various different generations and new genres appearing and disappearing. It's a never-ending cycle and bands appear out of nowhere and they become huge while other performers that you think are going to be rock stars, they have a one-hit wonder and then they fade away. Now, my taste in music is very eclectic. All you have to do is ask the staff at Seoul what they hear me playing in the office because that's what I do. And it's all over the map with the exception of one genre that will remain nameless. And what we know is, though, is that music is powerful. And quite often a tune is being played in my house and or is somebody is singing. And if you think about it, it impacts people. So here's my first question is how has music impacted your life? Just, just think about that a bit. How has music impacted your life? The power of uh, a song, of, of any song, really, in a person's life is tremendous. You know, today we opened up with the song, our feature is My Generation by The Who. Now, I actually had the opportunity, opportunity to see these guys live in per concert. And maybe anybody else, I, I, I don't know. But Pete Townsend wrote the song on a train ride from London to Southampton on May 19th, 1965. It was his 20th birthday, as a matter of fact. He was interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine, and he explained that my generation was very much about trying to find a place in society. I was very, very lost. The band was young then. It was believed that its career would be incredibly brief. So Townsend he, uh, you know, wrote this song uh, for the rebellious British youth, uh, known as mods. Our rendition of mods would have been punk rock, but they were called mods there at the time. And it expressed their feeling that the older people just didn't get it. And um, Roger Daltrey, who was the lead singer, he sang with a stutter, which was actually very unusual, especially the fact that he admits that he had a stutter while younger and had to f work really hard to, to overcome it and then was told to sing the song with a stutter. As a matter of fact, this was so unusual that the BBC refused to play the song at first because they didn't want to offend people with the stuttering. And then the song becomes a huge hit, and of course, then the BBC decides to play it, right? Because it's all about money. Anyway, the song also features one of the first bass solos in rock history. Um, 
And it contains a very famous line. The line is, I hope I die before I get old. In 1965, Daltrey was uh, interviewed and he actually stood by the lyric and he claimed that he had killed himself before reaching the age of 30 because he didn't want to get old. Yeah. However, um, the drummer, Keith Moon, did die of a drug overdose in 1978 at the age of 32. The rest of the band, well, what happened is they found themselves playing the song 50 years later. That's probably one of the concerts I was at, right? And it gives that line <laughs> more of a hint of irony than I'll ever figure it out. But uh, today I want to do a whole different take on music, and I'm not really going to focus on, I'm not going to focus on the who or my generation. Really what I want to share is a bit of what's on my heart when it comes to music, especially regarding singing and the church. Um, then next week we'll, we'll, we'll jump into everything. But there are over 400 verses in the Bible about singing. There are 50 explicit commands around singing, which if we just stop for a second, that's a, that's a really weird command mixed in with all the other commands, if, if you think about it, right? Don't murder. Oh, but, but sing. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't touch another man's wife, but, but sing. Don't steal, but sing. Right? But it's interesting because when you sing, you actually obey because it's a command. And so obedience, like I've said numerous times before, is God's love language. And God's people are more than just invited to sing. We are actually, when you look at it, commanded to sing. And when we sing, we are actually doing what God has asked us to do. So now let's give you some history here. The bugle, the trumpet, the drums and even song, have all been weapons of warfare. They've been used to motivate soldiers to, to march out and to engage in battle, and even give off signals in battle. And even the Bible has examples of power, the power of music as a weapon. Go to Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. The priests were told to march around the city seven times, blowing the trumpets of ram's horns. And then it was on the signal of a long blast from these trumpets that all the people with them were to shout. And when they did, the walls came tumbling down. Maybe you've seen those uh, um, things on social media where the, the little movie clips where people have these high voices and the, the high-pitched voice actually breaks a glass. But here in, in, in Joshua is the spectacle of trumpets and voices breaking down a city wall. You know, you don't have to go too much further when Gideon, uh, with his 300 men, took on the Midianites. And he did so, as the Bible tells us, with 300 trumpets. Trumpets and jars. <laughs> That's how they went into battle. And all of his men, at the right time, at the right signal, blew their trumpet and they broke their jars. And that noise, that music, threw the enemy in such a state of panic that they began to fight each other and he eventually defeated themselves. Psalms 150 verse 3 says, Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. You know, the trumpet can help armies win a war. It can praise God and numerous other things that demonstrate the power of music. And so music has the power, when you think about it, to give life meaning. And so one of the worst judgments, if you think about it, that God can inflict on people is to deprive them of music. Listen to the punishment on the city of Babylon for its wickedness that we read in Revelation 18. It says, the music of the harpists and musicians, pipe and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. In other words, there's no music in hell. But there'll be music in heaven forever. And it will be both vocal and instrumental. 
We know from the scriptures that God enjoys singing. We read that in Zephaniah chapter 3, that he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. In Zechariah 9.14, it implies that the trumpet of the Lord is really a trumpet that he plays. The Bible clearly exalts the power of both vocal and instrumental music. And because the the early Christians didn't use instruments, um, it has led to a history of actually controversy on this subject. Maybe you didn't know that. But the early Christians, as most of us know, in, in the beginning centuries, were a persecuted people. So when you think about it, if blowing a trumpet or even playing of a harp in a worship gathering, it wouldn't have been that great of idea, if you know what I'm saying. You know, when you are meeting in secret and you're trying to keep from being raided by the Romans, the last thing that you want to do is play any type of instrument that people are going to hear from blocks away that will draw attention to your secret meeting. But unfortunately, what has happened over time is that many took this unusual situation as the standard for all time. So some felt that Christians shouldn't use any instruments at all in worship, and so the Eastern Orthodox Church only uses vocal music. There's a whole history of how some Baptists and Free Methodists and even Mennonites fought against the use of instruments in the church, and still to this day, don't have them. Don Hustad. Now, some of you don't know who he is, but he was Billy Graham's organist for many years. And he tells about how in the mid-1960s with the Billy Graham crusade that many Christians opposed the use of the guitar, not only in the crusade setting, but in the church setting because it was a symbol of youth culture and their rebellion. Yet back in the early 1800s, this guy by the name of Oscar Anfelt popularized the guitar in Sweden. And so Scandinavian Christians developed string bands and they became basic to worship in almost every church in Scandinavia. I don't get it. And so the issues around music become so subjective. And we know that music has the power to move people. We do. The real question should be, does music have the power to move people for God? And that's what William Booth asked when he wanted to minister to the needs of the working class people in England. His goal was actually to take the message of Jesus to the streets and to minister to people where they were at. And so the organ and the piano were not practical instruments for this goal. And so what he did is he organized a band. And it had to be loud enough to get people's attention. And so what he did is he got a brass band together and drums. And it's with these instruments that he began a movement that literally reached around the world. And today the Salvation Army would have never marched around the block, pardon the pun, had they used the piano. But they marched to a different drum. Dad joke. And they reached people with the power of music. And this influenced other evangelists like guys by the name of Billy Sunday who made his song leader play a trombone. Other evangelists used trumpets or violins. 1920, there's an evangelist named Paul Rader. He, he used a full concert band which drew tremendous crowds. And the Bible, when you look at it, actually has a band of its own as well. There's a good list of in- instruments. All you need to do is study it. Study the Old Testament, study the New, and you'll see the references left, right, and center. But humankind is the greatest musical instrument. Because we can use our voice to sing, to hum, to whistle, which I can't do. We can use our bodies to move in rhythm, which you don't want to see, right? We can clap our hands, we can stomp our feet. 
And clapping itself is not just an expression of appreciation. It is part of the music of life. It's an expression of joy by just the means of the sound. What does a little kid do when they're excited? They clap their hands. The Jews use the clapping of hands as a synonym of, uh, for singing. In Psalms 98, verse 8, it says, Let the river clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Isaiah 55 goes on and says, The mountain and the hills will break forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. In Psalm 47, the song begins with a call to the nations to express their joy with voice and with the clapping of the hands. So if you thought you couldn't play an instrument, wipe that false idea from your head. For your hands, when you think of it, are actually a biblical instrument. And with them, we can make sounds that express joy and praise to God. That's what hand clapping is all about. And you can play that very same instrument that some great musician of history had used. Your hands. And even the least musical of us, when you think about it, can make some sort of rhythmic sound with hands by clapping them or tapping them on something else. Now, it may be out of sync and drive everybody else crazy, but at least you can do it. And the human body is also an instrument of music. The heart, for instance. The first music a baby hears is the beat of a mother's heart. And tests have shown that the, the soft rhythmic beat of the heart calms the child and gives the child a sense of peace and security. You stop it and the child becomes agitated and cries. And so what we see, the human body, the, the mother's heart has this power to calm and to cheer and, and it's, it's, it's not just poetry, people. It's literally true that where there is life, there is music. The hills are alive with the sound of music, right? Somebody once said this, music is fundamental, one of the great sources of life, health, strength, and happiness. Louis Braille, he discovered the power of music to give life when he entered the National Institute for the Blind Youth in Paris. He discovered that the blind are equal to seeing people in music. And in fact, that they often excel the seeing. More than 50 of the graduates at that time played as organists in Paris churches. This is back in the early 1800s. And so what Louis did is he took lessons on a piano and organ, and he learned during this time that he was actually talented at, at the keyboard. And when he played, he said that he was so into the music that he was caught up into another world where there was no stumbling for him, no hesitation and no fear. What he found out is that music set him free from his earthly limitation. And so music has this power to set people free and to motivate them to go, if I can use this word, beyond their handicap. Braille did, right? And he was motivated and, and he helped the rest of the world of the blind to do so and he developed that Braille system of reading. Music has tremendous healing power in all sorts of ways. In the Old Testament, a young David, he'd play his harp, and when he did, it would calm the demented soul of King Saul. It brought peace and it brought stability to Saul's troubled mind at the time. And music as medicine for the mind has been used by people throughout all of history. Today, it's a major field, and, and, and music therapy is used in many areas of health just in general. History tells us that Homer in both his Iliad and Odyssey gave illustrations of how music and song led to healing. And so for him to be sick meant to be out of tune and harmony, according to the Greeks, right? 
Music could get you balanced and back into a state of harmony. Plato, Aristotle, other Greek philosophers, they all agreed that music affected the mind more than any other art. Go figure. And therefore was a powerful form of therapy to aid where? In the healing of the mind. By the 17th century, they actually found harpsichords that had inscriptions inside of them. And these inscriptions said, music is the medicine of men's minds. So this is not a new idea. You know, think about it. When you go sit in a dentist chair, think about it. Maybe you're going for some minor surgery, a tooth pulled, cleaning. You walk into the office, what do you hear? Well, me, I put in my own earbuds and I play heavy metal music, but that's a whole other story because I can't handle a dentist. But what do you hear? You hear some sort of Muzak, right? That Muzak you hear is being used as a mild anesthesia. It's dulling. When you hear this stuff piped into an office, know that it's been proven. It's been proven by scientists to relieve fatigue, to relieve monotony, to stimulate morale. So it's for the office people as well and for production for the office people. So it's not just for you, it's for everybody. And like all other powers, the power of music can also be corrupted. The forces of evil abuse and misuse the power of music to, to simply lead people astray. The ancient Greeks, again, this is great, they tell of the sirens who would cast a spell on sailors with their songs and it would lure the sailors to the destruction of their ships on the rocks. Uh, again, we have the creepy Pied Piper legend. Not sure if you're familiar with this. A strange man appears in this rat-infested town in Europe. He offers to purge the town of all of its pests. And so what does he do? He plays the, the flute and all the rats follow him to the river where they all drown. When the ungrateful people refused to pay him for his services, he played again and all the children followed him. Hypnotized by his music this time. And they were never seen again. How creepy is that? It's <laughs> just creepy. And these myths, they, they run through history but they make it clear that music has the power to entice people into the path of the demonic as well as the divine. It's a power for evil as well as a power for good. And it makes all the more important for Christians to take the power of music seriously and to be zealous to use it for God's glory. Psalm 91 says, 96 verse 1 says, O sing to the Lord a new song. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if Christians in culture today are really not understanding the power of song and we only see worship as a, a warm-up to the life lesson. That's not important. At one point in one of my ministry positions, somebody called myself and the praise team that I was leading at the time a bunch of cheerleaders. That wasn't meant as a compliment. And I believe that singing opens the way for an increase of the Holy Spirit's power in us. It is by the creative capacity of sound and song that's given to us by God that we have, amongst other ways, been glorified above other creatures. Song is a powerful instrument because it is so basic to worship and expression. We sing. Music also has the ability to, when you think about it, for it to transport us back to another time. Perhaps a song reminds us of a time that was wonderful. And we, you know, we can't help but sing this song with gladness. Maybe it's, you're in a relationship and it's your song, right? You know all the lyrics. 
But on the other hand, even in a time of sorrow, it allows us to sing with a deeper reflection and remembrance. You know, I think of a song like It Is Well With My Soul, which I can sing corporately with everybody together in a church setting, but in a funeral setting, it has a whole different feel on me. And it's our ability to feel and to be driven by unexplainable emotion that connects us to music. It is as music has the key to our heartstrings. And because simple words may never reach that deep. Many people are aware of this power that can reach within us. And fortunately, so is God, right? He created us. God created us to sing. God created uh, songs to stir us. He inspired people to write. Why? To stir us. You go back to Exodus chapter 15. We have songs of Moses and Miriam. Um, Sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. The horse and its rider is hurled into the sea. Again, they celebrated, they sang when they beat the Egyptians across the Red Sea. David said, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among him the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all of his wonderful acts. In Luke, we see Mary and Zechariah praising God for what he has done for his people. And so what God does is he calls us to remember and in remembering to be moved to praise. And the way we do this is not just to go back and to read history books. No, God gave us the history. He gave us the law. He gave us the prophets. He gave us various genres uh, that we meet in the Bible. But he deemed it necessary to give us divine, um, uh, very much divine expressions designed for music. He gives us truths bound up in song. And so our God knows the power of music. In Acts 16, Paul's in the middle of a second missionary journey. He stops in a major city called Philippi. They're followed by a fortune teller. Eventually, this bugs Paul so much that he turns around and he actually casts out the evil spirit that was in her. When her owners realize that their hope of making money off this poor girl is gone, they seize Paul and Silas. They drag him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. They said, these men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar. And so by advocating customs unlawful for us, Romans, to accept or to practice, right? So they complained. The crowd now joins in the attack as well. And the court then orders Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they were beaten, they were thrown into prison. And they were, the specific jailer was told, look, you need to guard these guys. Guard them with your life, basically. And the Bible says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul and Silas, but Paul, sorry, shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer, he called for lights, he rushed in, he fell in trembling before Paul and Silas and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that night, there was a transformation. Have you ever felt that you were not gonna make it at times? 
You know, it's interesting when you look at this, we see that in this dark moment, Paul and Silas, what did they do? They began to sing. In that process of singing, they invited God into their environment and God showed up and began to demonstrate himself. Why? Because of the power of song. Oftentimes we think that the only, uh, we, we think only of singing when we're happy, right? And when we sing when their times are good, but singing uh, brings strength when a trial comes. Singing is to strengthen us. It helps us to persevere in the face of trials. You think about Negro spirituals. They're great examples of this. Listen, singing brings God's presence. Leonard Sweet tells of a London film company way back in 1971. They began to make a film about street people. The film captured daily rituals of the homeless and uh, their trials, their joys, everything that goes on with life on the streets. Some were obviously drunk. Others that they filmed were mentally ill. Some were articulate and some were just unintelligible. It was street people. So that's, uh, those clips, they go back into the production studio, studio and the composer of the film who was to set the music, his name was Gavin Breyer. Uh, he noticed that there was a constant undercurrent of sound that appeared whenever one certain homeless man was, was filmed. And at first the, the, the sound uh, sounded like muttered gibberish, but after removing the background noise, Briars discovered that the old man was singing. Briars learned that this street person did not drink or socialize with the others. He was alone, although he was filthy and homeless, but he had a sunny demeanor. What distinguished him from all the others was his quiet singing. He would sing for hours, the same thing over and over and over. His voice was weak, it was untrained, but it never wavered from pitch. And he repeated the simple phrases of the song over and over and over. So what Briars did is he actually took that song, he looped together the first 13 bars of that, that song, and he was preparing it to add orchestration to the piece. And so he left the loop running and he went downstairs for a cup of tea. When he returned, he found his fellow workers listening in subdued silence. It's recorded that even a few of the workers were weeping. Here this old man's quiet, trembling voice had leaked from the recording room and transformed the office floor. And this is what he sang. Jesus' blood never failed me yet, never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. There's one thing I know, for he loves me so. That's all he sang. And Briars was not a Christian. He created and produced an accompaniment to this man's song of trust in Jesus. And the result was a CD. It's entitled, Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet. And the old man died before he heard it, but the fact is you can now hear it on Spotify. It's free. So look at singing can bring God's presence into your life, especially on the days when you feel beaten, when you feel discouraged, when you just can't get out of bed. You know, how many times have I started in the darkest times of my life? And I started with song to allow his presence flowing. Because that's song does. It invites the presence of God. Ephesians 5 tells us, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs amongst yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Singing brings God's presence. But it also brings God's power. The little concert that Paul and Silas put on literally brought the house down, right? Second Chronicles 20, verses 20 to 23 tells the story of King Jehoshaphat. 
he faced terrible odds against an overwhelming army. He prayed, and the next day the text tells us he went out and uh, he stopped his army before they went into battle. He said to them, listen people, believe in the Lord your God and you will have success. Believe in his prophets and everything will be all right. And after he consulted uh, the people, he, he appointed certain individuals to sing to the Lord and to praise God for uh, the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army. So he had this army ready to go into battle and then he had all these singers in front of him. And they went out singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And the story tells us that as they began to sing praise and worship to God, ambushes took place and eventually the armies that they went to face were defeated. Singing brings God's presence and his power, but it also brings his deliverance. We see that with Paul and Silas. They're set free. The jailer and his family are set free. When we sing, we're reminded of that truth that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And I think this is one of the reasons why the devil has attacked the church in our day and that it divided the church over music. Music and worship, I've been a part of those worship wars. It's ugly. It's ungodly. But there's no read for it because the fact is that Scripture calls us to sing and not only recite, uh, but, but it tells me that there's an appropriate emotion expected from the worshipers. Psalms 21, be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. Psalms 98, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So music of all type has a unique role in our experience and our expression in biblical truth. Music and song continue to play a vital role in the life of God's people today in every generation, in my generation. Our lives are grounded with music, right? We have television, you have radio, you have the back music of video games, you, you have the music of the shopping malls, you have TikTok, you have Spotify, you name it. And so much of the time, music functions as background rather than an opportunity for serious listening, much less participation. You know, outside the church, there are very few occasions or opportunities in North American culture for people to get together and sing regularly. Usually, it's just in a form of a concert. Much of the popular music composed today is for performance rather than for participation, even though it has a story and even though it has meaning. The church is also a variety of music to choose from as well, from classical hymns to contemporary to every type of genre from across the globe. And this diversity should be welcomed and celebrated. It reflects the diversity and uh, richness of God's creation. The people of God sing. And what they sing and how they sing, listen, it is important issues. It's not a warm-up act. It's a gift. Music is a gift of God, and it's part of his creative order. As a matter of fact, from its inception in Job 38, we read, When the morning stars sang together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy to its consummation. In Revelation, when every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them will sing to the Lamb on the throne. Creation is musical. Human music making participates in the music of creation and it reflects the order, the beauty, the diversity of God's creation. And out of all the musical instruments that may be used in the praise of God, it's the human voice that has the priority. 
Now, you may be thinking, well, I don't have a voice. It doesn't really matter. Nobody cares. My dad had a horrible voice, but he would sing his lungs out. Theologian Karl Barth points out that singing is not an option for the people of God. It is one of the essential ministries of the church. He goes on and he says that the Christian church sings. It's not a choral society. It's singing is not a concert. But from inner material necessity, it sings. Singing is the highest form of human expression. What we can and must say quite confidently is that the church which does not sing is not the church. And where it does not really sing but sighs and mumbles spasmodically and shamefacedly and with an ill grace, it can be at best only a troubled community which is not sure of its cause and of whose ministry and witness there can be no great expectation. The praise of God which finds its concrete culmination in the singing of community is one of the indispensable forms of the ministry of the church. Out of all the art forms that may be employed in worship, singing is especially the greatest corporate one. It's the art form most suited to expressing the church's unity in the body of Christ. Different voices, different instruments, different parts, they become blended together. They offer a single, living, unified work of beauty. We're in it together. And we have to be reminded that the church's gift of song is for the glory of God. Music should communicate and express a sense of awe and wonder in the presence of God. It should lead our thoughts towards God rather than towards ourselves. And song is for the, also for the edifications of God's people, those on our right and on our left. And it's through our congregational singing, our faith is not only expressed, but to a real degree, it's formed. When you think about it, people tend to remember the theology they sing of more than the theology of what is preached, to which I say, ouch. It is through the sense of the words that God's people learn the nature and the character of God and the, the discipleship of the Christian life. I have decided to follow Jesus. A mighty fortress is our God. Through congregational song, God's people learn their language about God. God's people learn how to speak with God. Songs of worship shape our faith. Simple, repetitive uh, music such as praise courses that, you know, that just repeats. So, listen, they're appropriate in worship. They are. It's not about preference of whether you like it or not. They're appropriate. They can be actually very effective in moving people to prayer and to praise. But also, what's important for the church is to know that some great hymns of the faith in order to have a sense of the Christian faith in both relevant and enduring timeless space. And finally, there's the emotional power of music, and it's a vital moving aid in worship. John Calvin recognized the emotional power of music, and for that he mandated singing, when you think about it, rather than the saying of the Psalms in his church in Geneva. He wrote that singing lends dignity and grace to sacred actions and has the greatest value in kindling our heart to a true zeal and eagerness to pray. So music can move individuals, when you think about it, to confession, to thanksgiving, to adoration, to love, to any one of the hosts of emotions. The people of God sing. The role of music in worship is biblical. And again, after escaping the Egyptians at crossing the Red Sea, the people of Israel sang a song to the Lord. Singing was a part of Israel's formal worship in both the tabernacle and the temple in 1 Chronicles. The Psalms bear rich testimony to what? To joy and sorrow, to praise and lament. The faithful raise their voices to God in song. 
hymn singing itself was practiced by Jesus and his boys in Matthew 26. Paul instructed the Colossians, and, and, and these are the words that I want to leave with you today. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Let the scriptures get in there. And then he tells us how to live out that command. He says, and with gratitude in your heart, sing. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul lays it out that when you sing, you build others up. You look at verses 13 to 15 then that passage, it's all about one another. We see the same thing in Ephesians 5, 19. And when we do what the Bible says, and we sing together as a church family, we sing as one, we are hearing confessions of faith all around us. We're hearing hundreds of testimonies of faith at one time all around us. And there are times where there are those who cannot sing, but you become their voice and you lift them up. But also, as you know, when you sing, you're also helping unbelievers who are listening. In Psalms 105, 1 and 2, the Lord tells the Israelites to be a light unto the nations, and he tells them this. He says, sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Sing it in song. And think about the impact on somebody who doesn't know Christ. They hear hundreds of testimonies, those hundreds of confessions of faith as we sing together. And I, of course, I, I can't forget this one, James 5.13. If anybody's cheerful, if anybody's happy, let him sing praise. And so singing has such a unique way of bringing our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength together to focus entirely and completely on God. In an age that we live in and one of distraction, singing grabs the attention of all of our senses and focuses us on God. That's what it does. Let's pray. Father, we're overwhelmed by the wonder of your mercy and your love. And you have poured out your unconditional love upon us. You've restored to us yourself through your forgiveness of our sin. Your words of peace has warmed our hearts. It's enlivened our minds. It's encouraged our spirits. And for this, God, we praise you. We honor you with songs of joy. And for this reason, I pray, Soul Sanctuary, that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, Soul Sanctuary, that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord and his holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. So here it is, soul sanctuary. Always be thankful and let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and to counsel each other. And sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you say, whatever you do, let it be as a representative of Jesus. And all the while giving thanks to him through God the Father. 
And may the blessing of God, may the love of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit strengthen and encourage you this week and as you go out from here to live lives of gratitude and service. Now go in peace, sing a song, and live the church. We'll see you next week.